I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. We are pumped, uh, or at least I'm pumped, I don't know if Ryan is, to see Oliver and company. I was not initially. I think, as with most of these movies, I have my memories, and I, I just feel like this is another one kind of not like Black Cauldron, but is does kind of like, oh, this is one of the bad ones. And I started watching some stuff, and while there's things I saw in the making of that I was like, oh, I think there's going to be some, some things I don't like about this, I'm like, I'm ready to watch this. Good. I'm glad you, you got your Do, head straight for it. <laughs> did, you, did you, what's your memory of this one? Uh, so I, this is another one where I vaguely remember it. Obviously, listeners know I know the song because I belted it out at the Roger Rabbit episode yeah. at the end. So I, I don't think, I think I was probably an embarrassingly old age when I realized it was based off Oliver Twist because I didn't grow up with the story Oliver Twist that's something that like like I never read Oliver Twist did you read Oliver Twist no but right before this this episode I read the Wikipedia entry oh and oh my god it's not I mean it is it is but it isn't yeah and I've read that that there were a lot of different characters and you really could have had several movies because there were there was so much Guys, if you think Harry Potter had it rough, you need to read the Wikipedia entry for Oliver Twist because that book apparently is just like, orphan boy gets beat, starved, shot, kidnapped. It's just awful. And I think this is just a part of it. Fagin and the Artful Dodger, who are like one-to-one characters in this, are completely, are are the bad guys. Yeah, I have stuff written about that, specifically about the villains. Um. But I, I guess it's loosely based off yes. of the idea of an orphan. And I knew the musical Oliver, um, which is also based off Oliver Twist. So I feel like I made that connection later on in life. But as far as specific memories watching the film, again, I don't have like specific connections. I did have an Oliver pillow. It was like a big square pillow that you'd put like behind your back or on the floor when you're watching TV. Mm-hmm. And it had little arms and legs. Uh, and so like a maternity pillow, well, kind of, but it wasn't as big as it, cause it wasn't a rectangle. It was like just a square. Okay. So it was kind of like the pillow that I'm using behind my back, but it was Tara, a square is a rectangle, Okay. but a rectangle is not a square. Okay. A little math for you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, so I, it's funny because a lot of times I connect with the merchandise I remember having as a kid, not necessarily this nostalgia from the film. And I think that that's just because my memories aren't as strong with watching things. I think when we get to Little Mermaid and Aladdin and those films, I have very strong reactions to, very emotional connections, but I also watch them much more. Like I can quote some of those movies and I've seen them so many more times than I believe I've seen Oliver and Company. I'm pretty sure I saw this in theater when doing the the, the research for the making of a lot of it was clips from like the Disney World Parade mm. and uh, like a Magical World of Disney like 10 minute thing on the making of yeah. it and all that sort of thing. And I think because this is the era when I'm having 
or we're getting close to uh, Disney Channel in mm-hmm. my house. I think I saw a lot of ads for it, and that's why it has a, prim- a prominence. Yeah, I, I don't remember, remember the movie poster, like with Roger. It's Roger, right? Roger. No, that's not the main character. What's Dodger. Dodger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, because he's the right. artful Dodger. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dodger, like up on the piano, and like the the group, the the company, the group of yeah. dogs, um, <laughs> underneath him. So I remember that. But I guess we should say it came out in 1988. Yes. Now uh, we've already gone over the top three movies that year. I believe it was Rain Man. Who framed? I have it here. Rain Man, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Coming to America. And uh, what I wanted to say is it was 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it also came out, so it didn't get a very high score on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and I, there's some reasons why I think that is that I'll mention, is specifically to deal with the villains, too, but we can talk about that in a little bit. The other thing I wanted to mention, it came out the same day as Land Before Time. So yes. they opened on the same day, and I believe Oliver and Company made more money on opening day than... Land Before Time. I think did. that's correct. Um, At least, so we've just a, a little bit of openness. We've watched a few. We're about to get into the whole Disney Renaissance, so we've been watching some uh, documentaries, which we, com- we did. very much suggest on Disney Plus. There's uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is a lot about this area, era. which mentions Oliver briefly. Mm-hmm. So that's where we found out about the Land Before Time, and then the one that I almost would recommend over Waking Sleeping Beauty, especially if you're connected to the music. For me, I had such, such, such a stronger emotional response. To yes, Howard. I'll agree with that. Um, Howard, not only because you learn about Howard. Ashman, Ashman. Howard Ashman's life story um, and kind of what he battled and went through. So there's an emotional pull there. But I just I just really connect it with it also because I love the music from all of those films. Mm -hmm. Howard wrote all the music for Little Mermaid. He wrote for Aladdin. He wrote one song for this, which Ryan, I think, was excited to share. So do you want to share the song? Yeah, it's. uh, Once Upon a Time in New York City, yes. sung by my boy Huey Lewis. <laughs> yeah, and so it was the first song he wrote for a Disney film. Uh, he then goes on, you know, his story in the documentary is about Little Mermaid, is about Beauty and the Beast, and I think uh, we will have a very special guest on for Little Mermaid, um, one of my childhood friends who I've mentioned on the podcast before. Uh, but I think we're going to save some time to talk about Howard mm-hmm. there because his influence on Little Mermaid was yeah. throughout the entire film. But we I definitely, highly recommend yeah. watching it. Now, it was interesting having watched the uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is a lot about Michael Eisner, Roy Also very Disney. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Eisner, Roy Disney, and Jeffrey Katzenberg because watching the making of this, we saw I saw a lot of Katzenberg and Roy Disney. And one thing that was interesting about the making of is Roy Disney does a lot of work trying to put over the animators – um, just being like, oh, look at, sorry, put over is a wrestling term for making someone look good, like okay, getting yeah, them over with the audience. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That. Roy spends a lot of time talking about how great the animators are, um, kind of talking about how Billy Joel recorded his stuff early, and then they had to go back and they were, he's like going into the technical details of it. He's like, they had this much time to make him say a word and this many mm. frames, and really does a lot of work for them, which you'll see in that in that documentary. Uh, I also wanted to mention that a lot of the talent, we didn't mention this on Roger Rabbit, but we learned about it in Waking Sleeping Beauty, that a lot of the animation talent on Roger Rabbit, they moved the um, animation and the production of the film to London. It was a different group of animators than the the Disney one. Now, after Roger Rabbit, they they, they pan... Well, 
I would have liked to read more of this. Like, what happened to the ones that weren't handpicked? Yeah, they they basically took a lot of the successful animators from Roger Rabbit and they brought them back to Burbank to work mm-hmm. on Oliver. Now, at that point, Oliver had to have already been in, like, they were working yeah, yeah, on yeah. Oliver at that point. So we didn't have a lot of details, but they did mention that in the uh, documentary. They also worked on Little Mermaid as well. So Let's... Uh, some of the animators from... Roger Rabbit in let's, London. Let's take a second to talk a little bit about this cast because it's like so many uh, singers and, and people, mm-hmm. you know, you got Ruth Pointer, I believe, was Rita at one point. It, it's funny because in the documentaries, kept saying Ruth Pointer did was Rita. And then I look online, I look on IMDb, and it's not Ruth Pointer from the Pointer Sisters. It's someone else. Mm-hmm. And I need to dive into that a little more. I'll look. But it's definitely Billy Joel, uh, Huey Lewis singing Bette a song, Midler. but not it. Bette Midler, who... Guys, I completely forgot about this when we did the cartoon crush thread, but I remember as a kid, I think I had a cartoon crush on Georgette <laughs> um, and, and her song. It's This is just, I, I think this had such potential to be very good, and I'm interested to see it because it's not super remembered, but this is a slice from 1988. Like, they just, they yeah. took a deep, like, you know when they core cheese, like mm-hmm. a big cheese wheel to figure out the cheese is good? That's what I feel like. They just stuck that into 1988 we're like, yeah. we're going to get a little... Huey Lewis, little Billy Joel. It's like the 1988, late 80s, early 90s, just classic, bland rock. Mwah. Yeah. And what <laughs> we should say about that as well is the film takes place in New York City in the 1980s. So similar to Dumbo, not um, all Disney movies take place in the era they come out. So well, this came out in the late 80s. It took place in the late 80s in New York City. But you know what movies do take place in the era? They, for the most part, they're they're pretty modern. It's Lady and the Tramp, uh 101 Dalmatians in this movie. What is it with Disney where they we want to tell the story the of animals. like dogs yeah. tell you are like where we are in society? Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I found interesting, a couple things I wanted to mention about New York City in general. The animators uh, took photos of New York City streets for reference using cameras that were set about 18 inches off the ground to get a dog's point of view. So mm-hmm. I thought that that was really cool. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is. This is one of the few animated films to feature kind of front and center a shot of the Twin Towers. So I also want to mention that if that is potentially a trigger for someone. Um, I grew up on the East Coast. I, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, so seeing an image of the Twin Towers for me when I see it in different movies or in different television shows and things like that, I do have an emotional connection and response to it. Um, not as strong as it used to be. Uh, what's interesting is after 9-11, a lot of films edited out the Twin Towers mm-hmm. because they didn't want it to be emotional and upsetting for individuals. Disney opted not to do that. I think it was more so a money and cost thing. And at that point, the film had already been released to video yeah. in 1996 and it was 2001. So there were many different reasons, but a lot of fans of the film in more recent years have said that they appreciate that they didn't take it out. And I will say now, looking back, now that there's time in between mm-hmm. when it happened, I think it is nice to see them because they did exist. Yeah. And I think taking them out almost says that they never existed. And well, again, think, that's hindsight is twenty twenty, right? I, I think the opening shot is the Twin Towers with the sky and everything. And they were yeah. like, if we take them out, it's just the sky. Yeah. 
So I think that was part of it. Is it like it really yeah. is a weird opening? Yeah, and I understand why filmmakers did take the Twin Towers out of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, now that there's been time on it to reflect on it and there's been space well, sometimes from I, 9-11, you know, I yeah. do think it is nice to see them in some films. So well, it's I'm, also like, you know, it's a time capsule and it's like you true, don't yeah. want to erase them from existence. Exactly. But like there were, I think there were movies where like the Twin Towers were in the background of like a two shot dialogue scene and they were like the whole time no one's going to be listening to it. They're going to be going, oh, the whole time, especially yeah. when it came out and that was that stuff I understand. Um, now this is, are, are you excited also? Cause this just feels, this is a New York movie starring a, a good old Jersey boy, mm-hmm. Billy Joel, um, I mean, also yeah. starring Joey Lawrence. I didn't realize was the voice of Oliver as a kid in this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah, I am pretty pumped for it. The other and, thing. And, uh, Feech Lamara from Sopranos himself, uh, Robert Loggia oh. as Sykes, the bad guy. Oh, fun. Um, I don't think I made that connection when I was reading about Sykes. Can, uh, I, make, this can was... I make one more point about uh, this is this is for my nerds out there. I'm talking to Clo. Uh, Patrick Stewart was considered the vo- for the voice of Francis, but he was too busy uh, acting as Captain Jean-Luc Picard in <laughs> Star Trek: The Next Generation. Okay, just want to get that in there. Uh, I wanted to mention another voice, which is a big time voice in Dom DeLuise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's interesting is Dom DeLuise mostly voiced uh, animated characters for Don Bluth films. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, he did a voice uh, for this, I believe, is it, I can't remember. Fagin. Fagin, yeah. He did the voice of Fagin, and it was the only film that he worked with Disney on, and he loved the role so much that he kept ad-libbing lines. So a lot of his ad-libs are included in um, the film. And also, he chose to be an Oliver instead of Lamb Before Time. Mm-hmm. So he did make that choice. Well, it's also interesting because uh, Burt Reynolds was at one point considered for the role of Artful Dodger. Yes, so that Burt been Reynolds them. and there was, and uh, I also read Steve Martin yes. was also considered. Three very, very different yeah, artists. <laughs> and Burt Reynolds goes on to be the voice of Charlie in All Dogs Go to Heaven. Is that after this? Yeah, that's okay. um, with Dom I DeLuise. Think 1989. Yes. I think I read. I'd have to double check that. I, and that's why I brought it up. Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds were a big movie co- comedy yeah. duo at this time. Cannonball Run, other things I can't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention: we always kind of talk about awards. Uh, it was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Song with "Why Should I Worry." However, "Working Girl" that was the film, and the song was "Let the River Run" is what won for the Golden. Oh, Globes. I thought that was another song from this. And oh I was no, 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 to no, no. Um, however, it did not get nominated at the Academy. Oh, it was awards. the movie was "Working Girl." Yes. Okay, I thought it was all one thing. I That's apologize. the one with yeah, the uh... movie was "Working Girl" with Carly Simon. She sung it, but I, the the. Melanie um, Griffith, I think, is the... Yeah, and then Let the River Run was yeah, yeah, the song. Yeah. Um, it also was the last Disney animated film to use the line overlay or the cell overlay. So mm-hmm. that's the technique that we've talked about, which it's used to make backgrounds match the lines of the Xerox objects in the film. So it's one of the last films to do that. And it's one of the first films to use computer-generated backgrounds. Yes, I read that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we go on to, um, with Rescuers Down Under talking more about computer animation yeah, we'll with do caps, that. which now, we'll move into that. And look, watching The Waking Sleeping Beauty, we didn't realize there was such... Pixar... This is Pixar who's doing all this computer stuff this early. That's kind of who they went to. Yeah, yeah, that was the company. So I didn't realize... I mean, it's also weird to me to remember that Toy Story came out in 95. Like, that feels like such... Yeah. Like, Pixar just, to me, is synonymous with after 2000. Like, mm-hmm. they're just two different things. Yeah. But... 
Uh, the Also, the dog dances, so all the different dances from the dogs were based on choreography from Bob Fosse, so I thought that that was kind of fun. I have another fact. Uh, yeah. Bette Midler's song. I went So I went, one of the things I did is I went and I looked at the soundtrack because I feel like you've got all these great uh, singers, mm-hmm. but like this soundtrack doesn't, it, it didn't stand the test of time. And I'm wondering why. And I was looking at like none of these people wrote the songs, and I think it was that might have been part of it. But Mary, but Barry Manilow mm. wrote uh, "Perfect Isn't Easy," which is oh, the Bette Midler song, which yeah, I thought was kind of cool. That's interesting. Uh, it also talking about the music. It's the first fully animated Disney musical, uh, which has at least three songs, excluding the main title, since Fox and the Hound. So it's been a little while since they've had heavy music. That's weird films. to me that they would consider like the two songs in great mouse detective not making it a musical that just feels like one of those weird facts where they probably yeah but i think it's three or more is what Mm -hmm. they decide for whatever reason right um so i wanted to talk a little bit about the villains if that's cool and then i have things to look out for unless you have any other facts i think that's it i've got stuff to talk about when we're done but okay uh, so as listeners know, I have two different villain books that I go to for, um, information on the villain specifically. So for the Frank and Ollie villain book that I have, uh, Fagin in the original text was a master criminal. However, <laughs> a master Jewish criminal, as was pointed oh out in the Wikipedia. And then they had pictures and who doggy. Well, it was 1838, I believe. Yeah. 1838 is when the text was written. I mean... Yeah, I'm just... Congrats, everyone was racist back then. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I don't know that we mentioned that. I'm not, like... I'm just kind of yeah. saying that. Uh, however, in the movie, Fagin is more a small-time thief. He tricks the dogs to pickpocket, but he's very good to the dogs. So, you know, he's not really a strong villain because he actually really cares for the dogs, you know? Well, Fagin isn't the villain in yes. this. Okay, I was like, did they put Fagin as the villain? No, but what they're saying is he kind of was in the original yes, text. Yes, definitely so was. So Sykes beca- was kind of ruthless and stupid Bill Sykes, I think is how he maybe was described in the text hmm. or um, how they thought of him. He becomes powerful in this film. He becomes the boss controlling an empire. So, Oh, there is a Sykes in the thing. Okay, yeah, yeah, and he's not as strong of a, a, a villain, I believe. I have not read Oliver Twist, so again, this is just what I read well, from the villain's book. As someone who read the Wikipedia page, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to write is Glenn Keane, the animator, he wanted Sykes to be powerful physically, so he really focused on his strong hands and thick fingers. He wanted his fingers to look like bratwursts. So I wanted him to be really thick. I feel like I remember all of his shots are his head is kind of in the back and his hands well, and knees are... Because he's in the car a lot. Yes. And part of the reason for that is the original concept was to keep him in the shadows. So kind of like the hunter in Bambi. We never see the hunter's face. So the original concept was he was supposed to be in the shadows. He was supposed to be mysterious. However, when they got to the story development, it called for more action from Sykes. So mm-hmm. they had to um, animate him more clearly and have him be prominent. In different scenes. And I think Keen was kind of disappointed in that because I think he liked the mysteriousness well, of that, him. That feels a little bit about like our our problems with the Horned King from yeah. Black Cauldron. Which, by the way, guys, again, talking about Waking Sleeping Beauty, they just bury they <laughs> Black do, Cauldron yeah. in that one. Um, the other villains book I have also talks about... That Sykes is kind of reminiscent of a character from The Godfather or Goodfellas. Well, he has Robert that, Logia. Yeah. yeah, he has that feel to it. 
Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention here, going back to Frank and Ollie's book, is they talk about how, you know, how, when a film flounders versus when it's successful and focusing on the villain, and I, I would kind of agree with this, they say, who is the victim of Sykes? You know, he hardly sees Oliver, we'll see in the film. Fagin, kind of, Fagin works for him. You know, the rich girl who wants Oliver, he goes after her. The company of dogs, he doesn't have a major focus. Mm -hmm. And th the same thing is they, they quote it, I quoted it, a picture often flounders when there is no clear victim or even a hero to take on the villain. And so that might be why this one didn't do as well is because there wasn't a clear focus. There wasn't a clear battle. There wasn't a clear conflict. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to watch it with that lens. I think we're still going to enjoy it, but it will be interesting to see that. Um, the other thing I want to mention, and I'm mentioning it here to remind myself, in the other <laughs> villains book, I have the newer one that Ryan got for me. Uh, they have a list of six of the best villain cars of all time. And the majority of them we've already seen. So I will be sure to post that. But Sykes' car appears on that list. I think it's six or eight. Uh, and Madame Medusa has two vehicles on the list. Yeah, so, is one her yeah. little swamp thing yes. she runs and around and then the her? other one is the Cruella de Vil-esque car. Yeah. Uh, so I have a ton of things to look out for that I wanted to mention because there are a lot of kind of interesting facts. Do you want me to go through those or do you want... Go ahead. Okay. Uh, when Oliver wakes up after sleeping on a truck, there's people who walk by and we need to look out for Roger mm -hmm. from 101 Dalmatians, uh, Pongo from 101 Dalmatians, Jack, Trusty, and Peg from Lady and the Tramp are in Why Should I Worry? So we should keep out for that. There's a hidden Mickey. Fagin has a Mickey Mouse watch that he winds yes. up pawning. So that's something to look out for. I think he has like his, his whole, if I remember correctly, he's got an arm full of watches. I he's believe like, so. Yeah. And I, I, one of them is the yeah. Mickey Mouse watch. Uh, Georgette, when she's singing, there's a picture of Radigan among all of the photo frames. Well, I, so I saw this shot a lot. There's a shot where she bursts through a door in like a hat and it looks very reminiscent of when Radigan oh, comes cool. out with his like yeah, all crown of his and everything. And everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, also. There's a dog that looks the, like Scooby-Doo in her portraits yes, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I read that. Um, there's a man that Fagin tries to pawn, I believe it's his Mickey Mouse watch too, and it's a character of Peter Schneider, who is the vice president oh. of animation, and in Waking Sleeping Beauty, they talk about, he was a very kind of unique and eccentric individual, so the animators did a lot of characters of him, well, and you see them yeah. in the documentary. They they go into, apparently there was a caricature like contest every year, Yeah, uh, they, make, they make, they just kind of, like, this is something I kind of want to dive into, because... Uh, in documentaries we've seen they'll show drawings of people and we've seen them over and over again but then in waking sleeping beauty there is so like they'll do entire scenes where someone's talking about the scene and they have old drawings that the mm -hmm. people just made of like what was going on a yeah. lot of like them getting yelled at by corporate and stuff like that yeah and i'm just fascinated in this whole culture of, of caricature mm -hmm. yeah so apparently we need to look out for that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. he's he's that person the character tito voiced by cheech Marin. Mm -hmm. uh, his character apparently quotes the dwarf chorus from Snow White, Hi-Ho, during the final warehouse scene. He so. also apparently loved doing this. Part of the reason he was like back in, back for uh, Lion King. Mm. Also, uh, another actor we're going to see a couple times coming up. I know we used to talk about the old actors that showed up a lot. Uh, Roscoe Lee Brown is in as Francis. He will show up again, I believe, in Chicken Little, that one I saw somewhere. But oh, also, yeah, I read that somewhere, too. But also, he's Mr. Arrow in Treasure Planet. Oh, cool. 
Well, yeah, I think that's everything I have. Yeah. I'm actually really excited to watch it. Well, let's. Uh, this one, I feel like I remember very distinctly having a clamshell. Clamshell, yes. Oh, and that's the other thing uh, we should mention. It's mentioned in the documentary as well. Uh, it came out in 1988. It was not released to video until 1996. There was a huge lag in when they released stuff. Part of that was, you know, that culture of it being in the vault. And they they talk about it briefly, but I'd, I'd like to find some more information. So listeners, if you have any, feel free to post it on the Facebook page of kind of the decisions as to why they held back. For a while, they didn't release it. And then when well, because they, released... they were releasing stuff in theaters and they thought it was going to take away from that. Yeah, and, and then didn't. when they released Snow White, it was such a huge success. And then I think they gradually started re-releasing to VHS. Well, it was also... Well, first they released Pinocchio. Pinocchio oh, was the that's first right. One they... I apologize. And they Pinocchio said it was... was the first one. They yes. said it was like printing money because they're like, no one had to do any extra work. Yeah, like, nobody and... else owned the rights to yeah. it or anything like that. So. so, so yeah, I think that that's kind of another interesting subject. But so let's go ahead and we will uh, take the Oliver and Company VHS out of the clamshell, jam it in the VCR, and let's check this one out. All right, see you on the other side, listeners. We are back. Uh, we have some thoughts about Oliver, but overall, I did really enjoy it. Yeah, I liked it. I I think there was. This is not a Disney classic, but this there's a lot going on there's here that makes good it in this film that makes it feel like they're on the off. They're they're on the upswing, mm-hmm. and there's a lot. There was a lot of like musical cues that we went. That sounds like Little Mermaid, or that sounds like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah. The, there the, were instrumental musical cues. The animation yeah. was also like real top notch. Like yeah, and I think they captured. They always do a really good job of capturing the spirit of dogs and yes. animals. But in Lady and the Tramp, in Hundred One Dalmatians, like they really capture the spirit of personalities. I think of dogs, um, and in this case, to a cat as well. And I think if I you are. If you are a pet lover, a dog lover, a cat lover, Ryan is not. Uh, if you're a cat lover, go find another podcast. <laughs> um, Gretchen <laughs> will... Oh, I shouldn't say her last name. We'll so bleep that it out. out. Uh, Gretchen would not be happy with that previous guest. So she's going to come for you. So you better watch out. The next time she's <laughs> on, we need to have her do the Bammer's voice. Because yes. her voice her voice for her cat... Tara had a birthday. We had friends send in happy birthday wishes. Uh, Gretchen sent one in as herself. Gretchen sent one in as her dog, and then Gretchen sent one in as her cat. And the dog was like, "Hey, Tara, do the do." And the cat was like, "Tara, it is your birthday." And like <laughs> the whole time I'm editing this thing, it came up, and I was like, "I think it was late at night," and I'm like, "I don't like this. I don't like this." Uh, but they do. They capture the personalities, I think, so well of these different dogs and these Dodger, different animals. Dodger. I wish they had gotten. We talked about this. I think if they had gotten Tony Danza mm-hmm. to do the speaking voice, he would have been that much cooler. Because yeah. Billy Joel's performance. His I'll be voice honest, is fine, but obviously for the song, it was great. Oh, it just but... feels like such a good Billy Joel song. Yeah. But his animation and his like rhythmic kind of walking yeah. around and then like at the end when he goes like i'll see you later and his back foot like steps on a car that's passing by and, whoop, and, he and just it like hops, swoops it was up. onto a truck yeah yeah he's never looking where he's going but mm-hmm. he always is it's he is the, the rhythm coolest. of the city baby he yeah. talks about that baby baby well, uh, let's let's dive in yeah so it opens on the skyline of new york city and i wrote here it makes me nostalgic to visit the city i grew up in new jersey i was about an hour an hour and a half from new york so 
Uh, we went into the city pretty frequently, both as a child and I had a lot of friends who went to college or, you know, um, live there now. And so especially now we live in Texas. So uh, I really, it made me miss the East Coast. It made me miss, you know, the things that I enjoy about like being back home it's, uh, it's so it really gave real, me a nostalgia for that it, it you know i didn't have a lot of nostalgia for new york in the 80s but i feel as someone who grew up in texas like there's this feeling i had about new york and this was part of the thing that informed it was the way it was viewed with like people being like hey like this yeah. is a happy disney movie but like it's still like people are kind of like, hey, look out. Hey, hey what you doing? And yeah, then like yeah, the, yeah. they start, there's that hot dog vendor. Yeah, we'll talk about it. And him, all that stuff. But yeah, really I, I, I think they do a good job of this really feeling like it's in a very the specific time and place. The city is its own personality, I think, as well. Its own character. The city is definitely a character in the mm. film, I would say. Uh, and it opens up after we see this skyline. It opens up on the song, Once Upon a Time in New York City. And it's basically narrating... Uh, what's happening with Oliver and we find out that he's with a litter of kittens and they're all in this box uh, and they're getting taken from the box, essentially being adopted. But the the sign starts out with that they're five dollars a kitten, and Ryan was really curious who's collecting the money. It was, it was outside of, of like a market yeah. or a bodega. So I'm assuming uh the owner maybe the store owner was taking the money, but it, the sign you notice goes from $5 and crossed out to three, then crossed out to free. And you see that Oliver is the last kitten in the box. And that part's kind of sad when he's all alone and then it starts raining and the box fills up with water. And then, you know, he kind of has no home anymore because he was in this box. Yeah. And then he's like swept down the street almost yeah into an alley he gets chased by some some stray dogs he ends up kind of like climbing onto a uh car t- like a tire of like a truck it's or a like, truck it's yeah a truck. Mm-hmm. and then the next morning the truck starts moving his animation there and this is when i started watching it going like this animation is really good because i think the ink and paint club is back they're kind of on this one they're going back to the, it's a little less xeroxing they don't have that hairy pencil yeah that we talk about the other ones there's real clear lines it's not quite as bright and vibrant as I think it gets in Little Mermaid, but like, God, I, I the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm going, this animation is so good. Yeah. Like the personality, you're saying it, the personality in all the characters is there. Mm-hmm. He, this is where we see Roger just kind of walking Well, the we street. first we see the shout out to the Yankees. He's in a, like oh, a Yankees yeah. cap. So any, I wanted to mention that. New York thing, Tara was like, I yeah. I got really, oh, it was just <laughs> exciting. Uh, but yeah, we see, uh, first he follows a boom box. Oliver follows a boom box. And I think it's so cute because you see him dance. That animation was really it's cute. It's the most ridiculous version of hip-hop though it's like one step away from like rip rap rippity rap well yeah (laughs) but i I thought it was cute to see oliver dance again it's like more personality that this cat has some spunk to him oh this is also where i said this whole part where it's showing his perspective yeah i wrote i wrote all from his pov yeah yeah, all it's everybody you know there's a kid that walks in at one point and that's the the first like adult from the knee or, or, or human from the knee up you see but it has kind of that feeling of that short we did, and I believe it was, it was either Melody Time or Make Mine Music, uh, one of the M's, and uh, it was Johnny Fedora mm-hmm. and and uh, Alice Blue, Blon- Blue Bonnet, was that That sounds it? right, yeah. And it was all done from, like, the head, but you couldn't really, it was really, it, it had that kind of feel. Yeah, uh, and so that's when we we enter uh, Big Louie, or excuse me, Old Louie, the hot dog vendor, and he's singing, and so Ryan asked me, uh, if that was true of vendors, I've never heard a vendor sing, but I also don't spend nearly as much time in the city as a lot of my friends do. So listeners, 
Uh, if you've ever heard of any kind of a street vendor singing, I'm sure street vendors to get people's attention are singing and carrying on and having a personality. I feel like. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it happens more now. Let's say specifically hot dog vendors. Because there's a difference between like a street vendor, I think, in New York, or like a food truck. A food now. vendor, I guess. But like, yeah, so hot dog guys are mostly like, come eat your dirty hot dog, watered hot dog. Guy. I love a street hot dog, oh, don't yeah, you? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm ta- listen. I I'm telling you exactly what I have, would, and still will put in my body, like at any point. <laughs> but it's disgusting. Uh, but but it's we wonderful. see old Louie, and he's like smoking a cigar, and he's singing, and then this is when Dodger comes in strutting, and we only see his feet at first, which I think is a really cool point of view. You see Dodger's feet like under a taxi, and then you see like another dog walk by him, and then his feet stop. You know, and so it's a cool way to be introduced to this character. But then he cat calls the dog, There's a, a female dog that's like all done up and groomed really nicely. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't love that he cat called her, but it's quick. It it kind of passes by. I have a little bit of a fact on on the hot dog guy. Old Louie? Old Louie. Okay. Um, so he is voiced by Frank Welker. Frank Welker uh, is a, was a very, I think he's still alive, is a very prolific uh animated voice actor oh mostly for a couple reasons he's i'll get you some characters he's done in a sec but mostly is because he does a lot of animal voices oh i read about this he did a he lot of dogs yeah. i think he's a boo, a, a boo in aladdin like okay. anytime there's like a, a an, an animal, animal voice going, like, it's usually him but yeah. he does it in movies like sometimes when they need a specific dog bark they get it's it's a suite of him mm-hmm. and things like that he's known for that but he's also done some voices he did ray in the last in the the real ghostbusters oh he did Oh man, is he Starscream or Megatron? I think he's Megatron, but he's done Transformers. Mm-hmm. Did a bunch of those. In in uh, this is the first time uh, in a Disney movie. This and Aladdin are the ones where he doesn't just do animal voices. That's cool. I think he's Raja in in Aladdin. I'll have to double check. But like, if you click on him for imdb get ready to scroll because he's had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of roles that's really cool i did read about that i forgot about that so thank you for mentioning that uh so old louie is basically getting the hot dogs ready and dodger sees that oliver is kind of trying to bother old louie he's just trying to connect with a human really and like He's swatting Oliver away and all of this. And then Dodger, like, kind of seizes the opportunity. And he persuades Oliver. And he's like, we can work together to get these hot dogs. Like, I know just what to do. And he talks about the rhythm of the city here. Can you hear it? And there's a jackhammer. And there's all these different sounds. So, like, they can be distracting. And Oliver can kind of be the distractor for Louie while Dodger gets the hot dogs. And so that's what winds up happening. Gets that. This is, you know, not to really nit. Sorry. Not to really nitpick this, uh movie but we get he gets that link of hot dogs and there is no way on god's green earth that those are that good of of sausages that they're made in a link like that <laughs> those are bought in a plastic packet uh, and put in dirty hot dog water and i will have three <laughs> <laughs> uh so they get them they get the hot dogs and then dodger immediately tries to ditch him and he's like this has gone from a partnership duo to a partnership uno and you know he's got this cool air about him and is basically trying to take all the hot dogs for himself uh, and then Oliver, of course, chases him. And then this is where the most famous song, I think, from the film, Why Should oh, I Worry, yeah. uh, comes in and he sings this song and he's got this swagger. And so you're watching them go all throughout the city. He's hopping on taxi cabs. They walk in wet cement. And then he's washing his paws in hot fire hydrant water. 
Uh, and, you know, and Oliver's keeping up somewhat. Like, he's not, like, right on his tail, but he's close behind this mm-hmm. whole time during this whole song. And every time Dodger thinks he's ditched him, he kind of shows back up. And one of the parts I loved that I genuinely barrel yeah. laughed at was after Can they're confirm. both... Yes, after they're both wet, they go over the grates. And, oh, I hate walking over those city grates and feeling that hot air because it's just, like, this stagnant, like hot air uh it's the same of like if water drips from a building and drips down on you in the city have you ever had that happen you're like where did that water come from so real quick my experience with new york tara's been there for most of it. i think i've been to new york city twice maybe just once i think just once just the once okay so, so i'm thinking of the one trip divided up uh the other time i went i was stuck in LaGuardia for a few hours that's the closest i've been to new york city yeah so we went uh and we got off the bus is when we lived in dc we drove we took a bus all the way up there i got off and i remember it was the middle of the night and in new york everyone takes their trash and puts it on the sidewalk to get picked up the next morning i th- i mean sure yeah. at least wherever we got dropped off yeah. with all the bodegas and shops and whatever and I just was like, so I get off. I'm like, ah, New York, trash, like thrown in front of me. And I'm like, what? And it's just like, ah. And it was just, it was just so like, it was like, it's New like York. welcome to the city. I'm like, here we are. Look at all this trash. Why do we love the city? The next day, it was beautiful. We went to Central Park. We did that stuff. Yeah. But I just remember that. I will never, ever forget trash night on, in New York City. <laughs> but there are like very specific things like water being dripped on you and you're like, yeah. where did that come from? Um, the same thing with the, the heat, like the up from, and it's from the subway and whatnot. Yeah. From, but they walk on one of these grates. Those things make me nervous. Yeah. You don't like walking on no, them. No, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going gonna, gonna to fall through. Yeah. I don't like it. Uh, so when they walk on them, when Dodger, Dodger dries off and again, very slick and, and kind of elegant, you know, he shakes off. And then it cuts to Oliver, who looks so pissed, and he's this giant furball, and I just loved it. I remember that from being a kid. I remember that scene very specifically, and then I just, I died when he was a furball. I, and again, it captures the personality. Like, mm-hmm. some of the looks these animals give are so specific and detailed. So the other thing I like about this whole kind of montage sequence with Why Should I Worry is also when Dodger gets up on the piano, he's playing the piano with his tail. I don't know if you noticed that. That piano also looks really like that could have been CGI and they were... Oh, really? Yeah, there's a lot of shots in here where it kind of feels like old CGI. They're doing something with CGI. Maybe they're filling it in with Mm. ink, but it's definitely wireframe of some sort or something. Yeah, and then the end of the song is all these dogs in the street. And I've had a couple. I had a couple thoughts throughout this film that I was like, "What would I do if I just walked down the street and saw all these dogs dancing in the street?" Like, there's just moments where you're just like, people would be freaking out. Uh, But it is a cool way to end the song. Uh, And we wrote here, you know, you see Oliver's determination throughout this entire song of being like, no, this isn't fair. Like, I helped you get these hot dogs. I want one of these hot dogs. And then it cuts to the houseboat, uh, you know, we're now kind of in the outskirts of the city. And we hear some... Houseboat is generous. This is a barge that has been converted into a living space. Uh, And we hear some music on the radio and we're introduced to Tito the Chihuahua dancing. Uh, and that comes into play a little later too. And then we hear Frankie, he, Tito refers to him as Frankie and he's the bulldog and he's very theatrical and he's watching, uh, what looks like a play on, on the TV. And he says, my name is Francis, not Frank, not Frankie. And so 
each one of these dogs have such distinct personalities, which I really mm-hmm. love a lot. Uh, Einstein is the Great Dane, uh, and you know they're talking about what kind of loot did they have for Fagin, and so he comes with like a broken tennis racket. So they're kind of comparing what they had, um, and Frank or excuse me, Francis was supposed to get the food and he didn't. And then Dodger comes in to save the day and says, I got us food, so we don't have to worry about it. And Rita is the female dog. And so they're all asking, you know, how did you get this? And of course, he's retelling the story uh, that Oliver was like this menacing, like creature and like he saved the day. Uh, And then all of a a sudden... Oliver falls from the roof because he's been listening in and it kind of scares them all. And then they realize it's just a cat and then they kind of all dogpile on each other. And I, is it the great day that's like dogpile and then jumps in and then uh, Fagin enters and Fagin has a box of biscuits. So this is where we really see the love between Fagin and the dogs quite a bit. Fagin may be my favorite no, no, Dodger probably is, but I love the design of Fagin. I he do too, and I like so pathetic but so lovable. Yeah, and he's just so kind and sweet to the dogs and he, to the to the animals to Oliver too. I love that they draw each one of his teeth. Yeah, like instead of like usually it's just like a line, and that's the the idea of teeth. Yeah, this is like he's he's got such poor teeth. Yeah, and his nose is a completely different color from the rest of his skin. Mm-hmm. Like he is. Yeah, there just, was a lot of detail yeah. with with Fagin and a lot of thought. Um, and you can tell that the dogs really love him too. Like yes. they're really excited that he's home. And, uh, then we hear a well, horn. I was gonna say, we love his house too, because yes. like, every little piece of it is, is trash, but it's done like Rita. It's very thought out. Rita sleeps in like an open steamer trunk, but it's got like a shower a curtain. curtain. Yeah. And like Dodger sleeps on an air tube. He sleeps, uh, An Fagan's- air tube with like an umbrella over it. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like, this is home. It's trash, but it's home. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we hear a horn, and it's Sykes with the Doberman. So then this is how Roscoe we're introduced. And DeSoto. Yeah, I believe so. We're introduced to them, and I wrote he has a real mobster vibe, and he continues to have that vibe uh, mm-hmm. throughout the film. And you know he hangs back in the car, and so he's in the shadows here. We don't really see his face or anything at this point. And um, he basically, we find out he lent Fagin money, and now Fagin needs to pay him back, and so that's what he's here for. And so Fagin goes out to the car and the Doberman come in. So it keeps going back and forth between the Doberman talking to the the gang of dogs, pack of dogs, and then uh, Fagin talking to Sykes. And he's like, Sykes is on almost like a pier on the car. And so Fagin's like on the very edge about to fall well, into the water the entire time. Because he parked that way so Fagin would have yes, to stand there. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... So it's all this back and forth, going back and forth and talking and and saying, you know, I need more time and all of this. And he threatens Fagin. And when he rolls up the window, he like crushes Fagin's hands and like part of his face in the window. Any of the scenes with Sykes are Are kind of inappropriate. Not inappropriate, but like. And threatening. Very threatening. Like the rest Uh, of this movie feels very fun and friendly and fancy. Fanciful. And then Sykes shows up. I think I said Fagin earlier. Sykes shows up and it's like, that's when it, that's when it feels at it's most eighties. Like these, we were talked about in who framed Roger Rabbit about mm. like, you can't have an eighties cartoon unless there's something kind of like, Oh God about yes, it. And like yeah. Sykes is that. Sykes is that. I would agree with that. 
Uh, Roscoe, the Doberman, you know, he winds up smashing the TV and they're kind of going back and forth. And we find out that uh, Sykes gives Fagin three more days, three sunsets, three sunrises. And at first and then three days and Fagin's like, so that's nine. And he's like, no, Fagin, that's three. Uh, and then Fagin falls into the water. He opens the door, which knocks Fagin into the water. Uh, and DeSoto, the other Doberman, that's when he finds Oliver. So mm-hmm. he, I think he smells Oliver or sniffs him and out. And Oliver scratches his nose. Yeah, gets him in the nose. And then the dogs... Like, scratch, doesn't just itch his nose. Scratch Yeah, his nose. and then the dogs protect him. That's when I think they really become a family. They are, they refer to themselves as the gang. And, you know, they really take Oliver in in this moment because he stands up for himself and then they protect Oliver from the dogs. And so then uh, the dogs leave with Sykes and then Fagin comes in like sopping wet and like throws his wet jacket down Mm -hmm. and like takes off his shoes. And the dogs are so loving to him. Tito puts on like bunny rabbit slippers and they pull a blanket up on him and they basically just like kind of snuggle on him and, and love on him because they know like how upset and worried he is that he's not going to be able to get this money. And, uh, oh, and they give him a biscuit. I liked that. <laughs> they too. give him a dog biscuit. Yeah, they give him a dog it. biscuit. He, has, like, he doesn't seem to, he's like, I bet he eats dog biscuits a lot. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, and, you know, he also talks to Oliver and he's like, oh, I saw what you did. Uh, that took a lot of guts, you know, swiping the Doberman on the nose. And so they're just all so sweet together. And he reads a chapter out of a book about a dog like rolling in a wildflower meadow or something. Mm hmm. Um, I thought for a minute there he was going to read Oliver Twist and I was going to be like, boo. Like, yeah, uh, but it's a really sweet moment and they all fall asleep. That's where we see their beds that we were talking about earlier. And then Oliver kind of snuggles know, up was, on Dodger. It was, you know, the most uh, fictional part of this movie is that all the dogs slept in separate beds. Uh, not the Great Dean. He was right he was on, top, on of top of Fagin, like yeah. literally sleeping on Fagin's like stomach. Uh, so then it cuts to Fagin on the motorbike, which I like that he has this motorbike with a, uh... Shopping cart? Yeah, that, that's where all the dogs ride. Mm. Like, it's a really fun, um... All the design of the, like, it really makes it feel like he's, like, built this stuff out of whatever he could find. Yes, yeah, and whatever the dogs helped him find along the way. And that's what we learn. Uh, we learn that, you know, his gang of dogs help him get stuff you know that he can pawn that he can sell to try to get this money to Sykes and he tells them to remember one thing dead men do not buy <laughs> can't buy dog food <laughs> yeah do not buy dog food uh so they start strutting across the crosswalk all the dogs and again I'm like what would you do if you just saw these dogs strutting crossing the street in front of all these taxis uh, but they're training Oliver, so Rita has a song here, and it's all about training Oliver and what they do. I want to I want to take a second because I think I screwed this other first. I think uh, she Ruth Pointer sings the songs, but I think it's this is voiced. I'll, I'll read the the actress who I'm stalling because IMDb likes to forget what I had in it just moments ago. Mm. Uh, there we go. The actress who did the voice of Rita is Cheryl Lee Ralph. But oh, okay. I think Ruth Pointer sings this song. Sings this song. Yeah. And, and I the, think and it's when she sings at the end. I Streets think. of Gold, I think, might be the name of the song. I it don't know that right. that's the name. but This is another one of those ones where I think it's like, this sounds like a good 80s song, but it's pretty forgettable because it's like. 
Yeah, well, and it's it's up against why should I worry and a couple other ones that are a bit stronger. Uh, but then they see kind of this very fancy limo and then they're like, okay, we're going to, you know, it's a grift. They're Which gonna... looks exactly like Fagan's car, but painted different. Like, I think it's uh, the same. Sykes' car. Sorry, Sykes. I, yeah. Sykes, uh, like, I think it's the same CG. It's very sleek, model. almost like a Cadillac type mm-hmm. styled car. Um, and they see that Jenny's in it with the chauffeur and we hear that. Uh, Jenny's talk. Jenny's reading a letter from her parents. Obviously, they travel a lot, and they're not going to be home for her birthday. So mm-hmm. she's pretty sad about that. And we see that she has a pretty strong relationship with Winston, the chauffeur, and he plays a pretty prominent part in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and Winston, so, my favorite character, and we'll find out why here yes. in just a little bit. Uh, so the dogs all have a plan, and it's always Dodger who's kind of the mastermind of the plan. And he's like, he tells Einstein, "I need you to." do a uh, fender bender, two lights up, and, you know, and everybody takes their places. And Francis, being the actor, uh, Einstein gets hit with the car. Runs headlong Like, head first in the car and is very, like, in a daze for a little while afterwards. And then Francis takes his place and pretends to be hurt. And that's a really comedic whole bit there. Uh, And then the whole reason to do this is to get the electronics out of... Yeah, the car. so it, they're it, gonna, I guess, pawn the stereo. For some reason, it all seemed very, fairly, I guess, plausible up until the point where they go, Tito, go in there and and take out the radio. Yeah, the electronics. Like, so he's like biting all the wires, and Oliver still doesn't really know like what they're doing and why they're doing it. And Tito like kind of can't be bothered. He's like, just look out the window, just like be a lookout. But yeah. Oliver doesn't know what that is. And then the window that separates the driver from the rest of the limo comes down and it's Jenny trying to see what's going on up front. And Oliver gets startled and hits the keys, which turns the car on. And then that's the first of several times that Tito gets electrocuted. Yes. So he barbecued. barbecued, Yeah. And so he like shoots out of the car um, and then Francis gets up, licks Winston on the face, and they all run away. And I they, love that that's Francis' little, like, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Like, oh, every time he does a grift. Uh, and so they all run away thinking that Oliver's with them, and then they realize that Oliver's been taken in the car. And so Dodger and Tito follow the car to see where it goes, and the rest of them go back to find Fagan. And then it cuts to Georgette. Who is by far the star of this film. And she's a six time national champion. Oh my gosh. 15 regional trophies. something blue ribbons. Uh, But she, her opening scene is so, yes, is so good. Because Winston, when they come in with the cat, he's like, I don't know what Georgette's going to think of this. And Georgette has a whole room to herself where all of her trophies are and her bed. And he opens the door to wake her up. And it's her this bed, marble throne almost. It, it's like a pillar and she's sleeping at top of the pillar. But the, the, the thing that's creating the support is statues of herself. Of her, yes. It's so good. Um, own, and, own could only have ever possibly been played by the Divine Miss Sam. Oh my gosh, she's it's <laughs> like, so good. Her, yes. her voicing this character is great. Uh, so she's singing to get ready and she's talking about being best in show. And then she opens the window and these birds are chirping. And it's very reminiscent of Cinderella. She goes behind a dressing... Uh, what is that called? A screen. A dressing yeah, screen. So. And the birds come with... What looks like a sponge, but it's actually like leopard print fur that she's going to wear. And they're like draping everything onto her behind the screen. And then she kind of comes out from behind it. 
Uh, and I think the song might be Perfect Is Me. I don't know that that's Perfect the name. Perfect Isn't Easy is Perfect the name of the song. Easy. But the song goes, Perfect Isn't Easy, But It's but Me. But It's Me. That's yeah. right. Uh, and so Jenny, we cut to Jenny in the kitchen who has made a mess in the kitchen. There is stuff everywhere. She's made pet poison. Like She's trying do, to make food for all any, of us. Any kids watch, like, do not let your kids then go, I've got an idea. Because it's like something, something Cocoa Krispies. And I'm pretty Raw sure. Raw eggs are on the ground. Yeah. And yeah, there's a million I know, things. I know dogs don't like chocolate but let me see if cats don't you go you go ahead i'll find this out uh so she makes it all up and winston again is like trying to tow this line of being like i need to care for you but i also like it's your house kind of a thing chocolate can also be lethal for cats okay uh and she puts a lot of whipped cream on top of it as well and so she puts it in georgette's bowl and he's like i don't know if we should be putting it in georgette's bowl and she's like not paying attention and gives it to oliver and he's so happy and then it goes back to Georgette and she comes into the kitchen and sees uh Oliver eating out of her bowl and when she barks it's bet it's the divine miss m going bark bark bark." bark. it's so good because it's she's a show dog so she probably hasn't like been taught to bark whatever the reason it's hilarious like it it never is not and it happens every time she barks and she's because she always says bark bark winston yes and then ryan said here and i agree that she has a cruella deville vibe to her she does that thing when she meets yeah when she meets oliver she's super sweet but in a way that only a naive person would think is in actuality sweet. sweet um she's not the villain but man does she have big cruella vibes oh she's so good uh, and so this is where we overhear that Jenny asks her parents who are on the phone if she could keep Oliver and they say yes. So now Oliver is now part of the family, essentially. So, um, they're, Dodger and Teeter are trying to break Oliver free. They kind of see what's going on, uh, and they realize it's going to be a bigger job. So mm-hmm. they leave and then Jenny's playing the piano and singing to Oliver. He's like turning the pages and playing on the keys. And then it's this really weird cut to them in a rowboat, which at first you're like, is this a dream this... sequence? Like, what well, is this? I thought it was in their backyard, and I'm like, she's got a lake in her backyard yeah, in New York. and it's and Central it's... Park. Yeah. Uh, and so we see that after she practices piano, they have a whole day of outings together, her and Oliver, and she's singing the song um, about her and Oliver, and they're walking down the street, and she gets Oliver a collar that has the address, um, and that's when she names him Oliver. That's mm-hmm, the other mm-hmm. thing we should say. He's never referred to as Oliver until Jenny names him Oliver. Mm-hmm. And so she leaves for school the next day. And Winston, this is where Ryan really oh. connected with Winston. Ryan's two passions, the, the Disney dogs. and wrestling and dogs all come together. If you had to name my two passions, you'd say Disney and wrestling? Well, I'm saying that because it's a Disney podcast okay. and you become a Disney my fan. My real two passions are my wife's happiness and <laughs> success and wrestling. But you do love dogs, you do love wrestling, and you do love Disney, and they all come together here. The dogs are outside and they hear Winston like pounding his like a rolling, a rolling pin, pin into his hand and the reason is is he's watching wrestling and he's like kill him kill him get him get him yeah and the we noted that the uh wrestler looked a lot like steven steven sylvester, sylvester stallone i was about yes. to say steven spielberg he doesn't look anything like steven spielberg. does look like a young sylvester yes. stallone though but there's th- this we is... did go back and watch the wrestling on the tv several times <laughs> all right <laughs> uh but uh Basically, they do another ruse. They do another grift where uh, Einstein rings the doorbell. Then Francis takes his place. 
And Winston's like, you again? Like, why are you here again? And so he's getting distracted by Francis and all the other dogs go inside the house. And then Francis goes in and they basically like shut Winston. They shut Winston out of the house. And lock the door. Yeah. Yeah, And so they walk into this house and it's huge. And they're like, and Rita keeps saying, maybe we need to just leave the kid here. Yeah. I think he's fine here. I don't know that we need to get him. Typically when there's only one woman in a gang like this in movies this time, I feel like her job is to be the voice of reason amongst fools. Yes. Uh, And so then Georgette uh, is just kind of, you know, being Georgette in her room. And all of a sudden she sees Dodger in the mirror. She has like a whole vanity. Well, she also has those old like perfume pump things. And she's doing that. You know, it's like it's a glass bottle and it's a sprayer, but it's got the squeeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so she's doing that and she's startled by Dodger and she's scared of him at first. And then when she realizes he's not there for her and he doesn't want her, he's like, we're looking for a cat. Then she gets angry and she's like, do you know who I am? And this is where she rattles off all the awards that she's won and the blue ribbons that she's won along the way. I like that Dodger refers to her as the champ from here on Yes. Um, And he really messes up her whole room. And I like because here you could assume that Dodger's going to be the smooth one who like tries to smooth talk Dorjette and it winds up being Tito the Chihuahua and it's so good. I really enjoy how he, you know, pines after her for most of the movie. He tries to kiss her and um, she slaps him as they leave. They get Oliver, they go out the window and then he sings. He, well, first he introduces himself to her as another one of those long names. It's a joke from... Uh, Lady in the Tramp, but and I, I feel think, is it Alonzo one of the it's names? Something, something's in Alonzo. So she refers to him as Alonzo, yes, which I think yeah, is funny. Yeah, and not Tito. Uh, but then when they all leave and they get Oliver and he goes to kiss her and she slaps him, mm. he runs away singing, I could have danced all night, yes. which is really funny. Uh, so Oliver's like, they, when they rescue him, he's asleep. He's like napping on Jenny's bed and they like throw him in a pillowcase. So he's pretty dazed when um, he comes to and realizes he's back with the gang And he said, I was happy. Why did you leave me there? And he's not saying, Dodger takes offense to it that like, oh, now you're better than us. And I think it's more of just, no, I just wanted a home like with somebody who loves me. And and now I have Jenny and now Jenny's going to be upset that I'm not there. Like, I think he's more thinking about Jenny and and just the fact that he was doted and loved on. Um, And Dodger takes that really personally and Mm -hmm. says, there's the door, like, you can basically leave. And all the other dogs kind of get on his case about it. And then Fagin comes in. Uh, And when Fagin comes back in, he picks up Oliver and he notices the collar. And he says, oh, you're doing pretty well for yourself and notices the address. And then he says, now I've got an idea. And he writes a letter to Dear Mr. Rich and when Jenny reads it, it's Dear Mr. Very Rich Cat Owner Person. (laughs) Uh, but he winds up like delivering this letter. We don't see the delivery, but we do see him writing it. And essentially he wants ransom for the cat. And so like, you have to meet me here at this time, bring money. And so it cuts back to the house when Jenny finds the letter in the mail slot. And I love that Georgette is exercising, but in the most lazy way possible. She's like on five pillows in front of the window. She's like exercising, watching a dog exercising video. And there are bonbons like all spread out that she'd eaten while she's exercising. It's so good. Do you remember the thigh master? Yes. Okay. That's just It's very similar. Did you guys have a thigh master? We had a thigh master. Mm -hmm. And No, but I do remember them. Can you guess who used it the most in my house? Your dad? No, you. me. 
And it was mostly my mom going, use the thigh master if you're going to just sit there and watch TV. And I was like, <laughs> okay, if I do this stupid thigh master, and I would yeah. do my hands too. Yeah. I just, just as long as I looked like I wasn't just sitting there watching TV, I could active. get a, yeah. yeah. And it, this is how it would go. I'd hear mom coming, squeaky, 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 squeaky. She walked by, squeaky, squeaky, squeaky. <laughs> She'd start walking by, squeaky, 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 squeaky. You know, it's just, it would, that would be it. Yeah, I feel like we we zoom in on Georgette when no one's looking. So she's just like very lazily <laughs> yeah. exercising. Uh, and then it cuts back to Sykes. And so Fagin goes to Sykes and he's like, I have this plan. I need another day, but I'll explain it to you. And so then we hear Sykes on the phone, and he says, "What do you mean? Start with the knuckles." And then put him in the cement shoes. Yeah, we hear him say, "Don't kill him yet. Start with the cement shoes." And so that's where it takes a really dark turn. He's in like this warehouse. It's obviously like his hub. Like he's got a little office space in this giant like warehouse on the docks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Fagin goes in and basically says, "This is what." my plan to get you your money as Fagan's describing the plan he's obviously nervous he's like stumbling over his words and we didn't mention this earlier but when snakes sykes snaps his fingers it's similar to radigan when he rings the bell for the yeah, cat. yeah, yeah when good he call. snaps his fingers the doberman are in attack mode yeah and then when he snaps them again they snap out of it they they come out of that mode so he snaps his fingers you know with one snap and they all go at Fagin and Dodger comes to his rescue. Mm-hmm. So Dodger's kind of in between the Doberman and Fagin. And then as Fagin is talking about the cat and shows him Oliver with the collar, then he snaps the dogs to stop and realizes what Fagin's going to do. So then it cuts to Jenny, who I don't know how she made her way down to the docks from where she lives. I guess she walked because she takes Georgette on a leash. She took a subway. She's a New York kid. I guess, kid. yeah, she took a She's subway. She's tough. I mean, She's a city it, kid. But she gets chauffeured everywhere, so I think there's some... Even when she's, like, gallivanting around the city with Oliver, we noted that you see Winston in the background. She, she seems a little street smarter. Maybe like, of the three bit. of them, I'd say she's the most street smart. I mean, because then you see Georgette, and she's just, like, Fair miserable. enough. Georgette is hilarious. But, yeah, she's basically dragging Georgette on, like, the thinnest leash ever. <laughs> uh, and Georgette looks absolutely miserable. I think she's in a raincoat or something. She has, <laughs> she's wearing something. She's in an outfit of yes. some sort. Uh, and they're in the boatyard, and... You know, she stumbles onto Fagin, and Fagin's like, I'm waiting for somebody. You know, he's expecting it to be this big, rich man. And when he realizes... Mr. Very Rich Cat Yes, cat owner person. (laughs) When he realizes it's Jenny, you know, she's basically sobbing. And she's like, you know, I don't know who would do this, and I just want my cat back. And I brought my piggy bank. You know, so then he realizes, oh, I'm not going to make any money off of this. The whole time you're seeing this, you see Sykes' car in the background. Looming, looming, Yeah. yeah. And so, and Fagin's got like one foot in a in a bucket. Bucket. And he steps in a bucket at one point and then just doesn't do anything about it for a long time. <laughs> and so you can tell he's starting to feel sorry for Jenny. He's starting to feel sorry for what he did, as well as well, I'm not going to get paid. It's like a combination of a couple different things. So she starts crying, and he like is trying to decide: Do I give her the cat? Do I not give her the cat? And then he throws Oliver into a box, and he's like, "Oh my goodness, I just found a kitten. Could this one be yours?" And she gets so excited because it is Oliver, you know, and uh, she's so happy about it. And then Sykes comes barreling in with his car and kidnaps Jenny. And this is where it kind of gets dark and becomes real, like really intense. Like he's now kidnapped Jenny. And now you see the dogs all turn to Dodger and they're like, we have to save Jenny. Like, how are we going to save Jenny? So they come up with a plan. 
Um, and so they're all on the roof at one point. Again, they're in this like warehouse space where Jenny's being hold, held and he ties her up, ties her up to a chair. Uh, and he's on the phone with Winston saying, you better get her father on the phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you better turn off Survivor Series 1998, 1988. Yeah. I don't care if Hacksaw Jim Duggan is, I don't know, I'm making this up. <laughs> Uh, so they're walking on the roof and they're all trying to be quiet and Georgette shrieks, which alerts the Doberman because she broke a nail. So yes. again, very true to Georgette. Uh, and then the dogs, you love when this happened in Snow White, when the dwarves all make one person, the dogs all make one person that looks like a shadow of a pizza delivery guy. Yes. Uh, and he's like three three kids in a trench coat is like the yes. funniest joke in the world and to me. he's like i didn't order a pizza where are those dobermans and he and gets he a gets nine his, millimeter gun and like loads it like, yeah puts ammo in it and loads it and then storms out after like this phantom pizza guy like get a free pizza dude yeah <laughs> no and need so then, for the for the firearms i guess maybe it's his hideout so like the only people who yeah, show I up mean, there that, yeah. are people he knows also this if this pizza person existed they had the tiniest head of all time yes like. that's true uh so then a chase ensues and you know fagin comes in as well like the dogs wind up getting Jenny. They all kind of get her out. And then Fagin swoops in with the motorbike, picks up the dogs, picks up Jenny and tries to leave. And then Sykes starts chasing them in their car in which play. And at which point we go to the most fictitious part, part because, the they both, because they both, they drive into the subway. This was pitched by someone who lived in California going, and then they drive into the subway and no one around had ever been to New York in a while. Or just let it slide. Yeah. But yeah. So, Fagin, it makes sense. He's in the motorbike. He goes down the steps of the subway. Well, they don't that go through a turnstile or anything. They well, just go straight. We don't the see that, but yeah. But so Fagin goes down there. I don't have a huge problem with that. But then Sykes' giant Cadillac esque yeah. car drives down the steps. Then they're on the tracks of the subway, um, and like the third rail, you're like seeing the electricity going through it, and it tears um, apart his tires. But then the like axle the the axle spokes are like on the the third rail and then all of a sudden they're outside on the bridge well hold up you're missing a part i want to take a second now and let people know that there's do you know there's a whole website called like it's like does the dog live no, and it's you, you enter in a movie or a TV show, see. and it tells you if there's a dog in it and if that dog dies. Yeah. We don't know that DeSoto and Roscoe pass, but they both get thrown from the car. They're electrocuted. Electrocuted on the third now, rail. Now, my argument is Tito gets electrocuted for comedy like four times However, if you've ever been at the subway in New York or a subway in general, you're always warned as a kid and as an adult, like... It's very dangerous but if you step out. I'm already there. saying we're taking liberties with the reality of the situation. I guess that's true. But I don't it's, know. It's it's pretty traumatizing. It's pretty dark. It's like, and it's we not, were shocked. We yeah. both gasped. LOL. Shocked. Yeah. We both we both gasped when it happened. So yeah. it is an intense. We moment. didn't we didn't gasp. We'll tell you exactly what happened. We went, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was an intense moment. Um, well, when we thought, what a what a what a, a, a terrible death for a villain in a Disney movie. This is quite possibly well, the worst death of a villain in a Disney movie. And then Sykes gets yes, it. Yes, but before Sykes gets it, Jenny also is on the hood of his car. Like, it's pretty... And he smashes his window to grab to her. Grab like, it's Jenny, pretty yeah. intense. And then that's when the dogs go over, and then Oliver goes after Jenny, so it's like this whole back and forth. And then 
that's when they're outside now on the track still of the subway now on a bridge. Mm. And so you see the train coming at them outside, which that for me was the most unrealistic part. I'm like, what? They're outside on a bridge now. Uh, there's, uh, there's a, there's a fact about this on IMDb. Uh, so, so just to finish, they all get off and they go up like a, uh, I don't know what's called, but like a wire on the bridge, but Sykes is still on the path and a train comes. Hits him head on. And just destroys him. Yeah. And we just see the remnants, the flames and the smoke fall into the water. Oh, he, no, no, no. We see his, him looking scared. He goes off screen to the right, and then the train comes from off right, and there's flame. Yeah. It's it's we intense. Assume he gets he, hit, obviously, and then falls from his death. But. Sykes meets his end by driving his car onto the path of an oncoming JFK Express train on what appears to be the Manhattan Bridge. Oh, interesting. Though this makes for a great ending, the train never crossed the Manhattan Bridge. Instead, it used the Cranberry Street tunnels to go from Fulton Street to <laughs> J Street. However, the film correctly identified as going to 57th Street as its terminus. Well, I'm glad to clear that up. And for any New Yorkers who specifically know where that's at and what they're talking about. Um, because, yeah, that part I was like, wait, what's happening? I was almost taken out of what was going on because it was so yes. um, unrealistic well, to what I know. I mean, yeah. But it, it also is a very dark part in the movie, too. It's very intense. It's like... If they shot a movie at the Alamo and they went in and it was like a theme park, I'd be like, that's not what the, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah. that's what it feels like. Yeah. It's just, that's, everybody else is like, so what? It trains, it's like, that's not what it is. Yeah. So then uh, it cuts to, we hear Winston and Fagin singing and Fagin's got some good harmonies there at the end of Happy Birthday. Uh, and they're all singing Happy Birthday to Jenny. All the dogs are around her. There's a cake and it cuts to the kitchen and Tito's teaching Georgette to dance. Um, mm -hmm. And this is where Georgette is kind of falling for Tito a little bit. And then Winston and Fagin are back in the kitchen watching wrestling. And Again, Fagin loses a ten dollar bet with Winston, and then doesn't have it. I'm like, already we've learned that his money problems, you know, it's are like not going to go away. It's like yeah. it's like the end of every episode of Sopranos. It's like these people are going to be the same people. <laughs> like, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we find out her parents are coming back tomorrow, and then uh, Georgette's like, come up come up and follow me. You know, I, I want to take some time with you. And all the other dogs are leaving. They all say goodbye to Jenny. They say goodbye to Oliver. And Tito's like, I'll, I'll be right with you. And so she brings him up and she's like, you know, you're not bad for a bug-eyed little creep. She's like, we could clean you up, give you a bath. And then Tito starts getting real nervous. And so she's then, like, and you know, and she says like, she's doting on him a little yeah. bit. And then it cuts to all the dogs outside. And they're all leaving. And Tito comes flying out in like a, a sailor, sailor outfit with his hair done. A sailor suit. And, he's and like, a bow on away. his tail. He's like, get me away from her. And it's so funny that, you know, he was doting on her and this is a stereotype that happens a lot. The minute that, like, he's he's able to get what he wants, he no longer wants Women it. are always wanting to change men from who they oh, truly I are. This is another stereotype there, too. I think that's definitely a trope they're trying to get at, but yes. that's definitely what happened here for Oh, comedy. yeah, that is what happened. I'm, I'm obviously playing that up. Uh, and then, Why Should I Worry? There's a reprise of the song, mm. and it's all the dogs singing, and it just it ends on a very happy kind of positive note. Yeah, paw, P-A-W-S, yeah. positive. Um, that's it, guys. Uh, let's go over our questions. Uh, first off, how was the princess? Princess, in this case, I'm going to assume is Oliver. I like Oliver. He I was like very cute. Spunk. I like his dedication. I think they could have made fleshed him out a little more, like and like been a little like I like the idea that part of the reason the gang went around him was 
that he fought DeSoto and they were like, okay, you're one of us. I just, yeah, it just feels like he quickly goes from an orphan to part of the gang to the house. Like that all happens in like a yeah, it does happen short pretty, period. Pretty quickly. That's not necessarily a shot at Oliver as it is the story. Yeah. Oliver's, I think a lot of his animation is very cute. I like Oliver a lot. I know you really like the fuzzball the shot. Scene, yeah. Um, how was the prince? Uh, I feel like the prince in this case is Dodger. Yeah. I loved everything about him except his voice performance. Yeah, I would agree with that. I love his swagger. I love how he was animated. Um, I really enjoy how he's got a Tramp vibe from Lady and the Tramp in the sense of he really knows his city. Like, Tramp yeah. knows his city. At Tramp knows he's where the, the dog catchers are at and everything. He's uh, the king of New York, but he has no riches. Yes, yeah. I would say Dodger, yeah, I think almost knows his city even better than Tramp yeah. does. Yeah. So the sidekicks. I, I love the the and company. Yes, Tito's fantastic. Tito's my favorite. Uh, Francis I, was a close second. Francis is really good. Uh, I wish Rita had a little bit more personality. She I mean, was very much the matriarch of the, yes. the group, just like keeping everyone in line. Georgette, though, had personality for both of them. Yes. So I, Georgette, I think, was my favorite. I, she's not part of the company, but... She is as, by the end. She goes after him when they... Oh, when, that's true. You know. Yeah, she helps them in the end. So, yeah, I would... I, I like Georgette quite a bit. Uh, what was your favorite musical number? And I think that's pretty easy Why to say. Should I Worry yeah. is so good. And Georgette's number is pretty good, Perfect too. isn't easy. Yes. It's really good. I It's not Why, why sh- no, Should I Worry. No, I like Why Should I Worry better, but it's a close second. But I'm I'm also, I think, in the same way. Like, I'm a huge Billy Joel fan, and this was yeah. such a good Billy Joel song. Yeah. I don't think he wrote it. Going back, I think it's... It feels like a Billy Joel. Like, it has that, like, bongos. It feels like the beginning of River of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's getting into all that. Uh, and he just wails on it. Like, he's yeah. hit. They wrote it for Billy Joel, and it shows. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about how it holds up. Female character agency. Georgette was great, but, like, the other characters were just kind of, they're fine. They Yeah, they were fine. I mean, Jenny's a kid, so, yeah. you know. Um, I think she was fine in her role as being a child. I think, I wish Rita had more mm-hmm. personality and agency. But yeah, I think Georgette was a strong. Racial, ethnic representation. Now, it is mostly dogs, but it's a varied cast. Francis is played by Roscoe Lee Brown, a black actor. Yeah. Rita's a black actor and a black singer. Uh, we've got a, a Latinx person in, in Cheech Marin. And, I and think- what I will say is Tito talks how Cheech talks. Like knowing yeah. Cheech, and, Cheech and Chong and his other roles, like... So, I can see where people are could maybe say like his dialogue and the way he's delivering things mm-hmm. could be playing on a stereotype. But I think it was, but that was also his bit. Yes. And it was nineteen eighty eight. I don't think they really pushed on it. Like, no, he, he really quickly. There was a few jokes that were specific to him being a Hispanic Chihuahua. Yeah, but like, look but at Lady and the Tramp. I was where it say, was they didn't hit me like the the jokes did in Lady and the Tramp yes, or exactly. in Aristocats did. With and again, jokes. if you're gonna have a joke, a little bit at that 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 deals with his ethnic background, Cheech Marin's doing it. So like, I don't think that's necessarily an excuse to do it. Yeah, but I think it's more like representative, like. You know, I'm white. I make fun of white people. Like, yeah. not that I'm saying, listen, if there's any race everyone can dogpile on right now, go for it. It's white people. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, you get a better representation of, I think. When you're casting somebody in the Someone role to do it. Because, like, if it's something that's like, that dude, is in no. that background. Yeah. yeah. And, and we're moving into a better place now. And yeah. I think I think that's it. The, it again, as always, 
I'm a white guy. Let me explain to you how ethnic representation works. So please, if if you have a, th- a theory on this, yeah, particularly right. if you're if you're uh, not a white male straight person like me, come at us. Let's hear it. We would yeah, love we'd to love to side. hear the varied opinions. The other thing I wanted to mention about Tito is we loved the way he was animated. <laughs> he almost had this little hop every time he would get excited or when he would go to run. It was like this, like three, three or four, like bop, bop, bop. he wouldn't move his. Feet, but he his, his whole just body would move. Yeah. I think they did a good job of. He really felt like if you've ever been around a, a Chihuahua, like anytime someone showed up, he's like, "I'm gonna kill him!" Ah! Like he, has, he was super, the, the most aggressive, a bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and very protective mm-hmm. of everyone. But again, I also think like they they put black people into into roles in there. They put they put minorities into roles that otherwise could have just been like, "Oh, look, it's another white dog cast. Who cares?" And that's yeah. it went, and in 1988, I gotta give him props for that uh drinking and smoking there's a lot of cigars in this a movie. lot of cigars sykes pretty consistently sykes always has, a cigar. has a cigar there's some rats smoke. smoking cigars yeah at one point there are rats around a fire uh, a trash campfire. like dodger goes by and they're all smoking cigars and they're like hey and they're like, all like singing the ooze in the background yeah, yeah, yeah. of why should i worry uh old louis the has a cigar has a cigar i uh, guarantee you they ate some of that cigar in the in oh 100 i'm telling you and yeah. i would have ordered three more yeah uh and then like when they go in the house when he says that line that you said you remembered they're like this is torture i'm sorry let me let me back that up <laughs> if this is torture chain me to the wall i'm gonna uh, that was a cheech marin impression and not oh a... <laughs> yes yeah 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 but um he pulls out a cigar and like smells it which is weird yeah, that they just had cigars at the table where this kid is well i guess maybe winston smokes the cigars because they're in but the house. But wouldn't that be up in his room? I imagine him being like Edgar from the Aristocats. No, Winston seems like he's got kind of authority of the whole house. Like, But Edgar's... if they're his cigars, I think there's a difference between authority of the house and leaving his stuff Well, what stuff I'm saying is around. the parents aren't home, right? So like yeah. he's watching wrestling. He probably doesn't watch wrestling in the kitchen when the parents are home. I feel like, you right. know, the cigars probably aren't out on the table when the parents are home. Like, I got to tell you. I think Winston watches wrestling in the kitchen when the, when the parents are home, but the volume's down. And he's Maybe always, they're that. Always like, they're like, Winston? He's like, coming, coming. Yes, you know? but I, I don't think he's as, like, confined as Edgar is. Right, right, right. Uh, guns and firearms again. So, uh, yeah, the when he pulls out that 9mm, like I don't know if it's 9mm, but it's whatever, a handgun. It looks gun. like a Beretta or something. Uh, when he pulls out that handgun, it gets, like, real, real. I will also say that there's a lot of like serious, real, real, seri- real, real. real, real. It gets it. It's there's a lot of seriousness in in that end. It's it gets yes. real dark for a movie that's otherwise like really like hey like everybody spunky but really positive and and easygoing until yeah until towards mm-hmm. the end. Um. So let's start uh, with frightening for uh, Sykes. I thought it was pretty scary. I'm gonna give him a four. Yeah, I think that's insane. They still keep his mystery a little bit. I think he's really scary when we don't see him and we just see the car. The car is so big, and the car is an extension of his personality. Um, yeah. And then he is just really frightening. We talked pretty extensively about the ending, and he's very scary in that whole well, ending. I, and he kidnaps a child. I also want to give him points because it's not. Oh, that's a good point. It's not only. Uh, like the, him as a character is frightening. There's some intensity to him as a villain, like to his scenes and stuff. Yeah, that he and brings. kind of what they're what he's portraying. He's portraying this kind of mobster underground mm-hmm, seedy mm-hmm. character that if you, I mean, even if you didn't grow up on the East Coast, but you know that character, you know that personality, and they're usually nothing good comes when you know what I mean. Like yeah. so, that air of him is there too. Uh, funny. 
he wasn't funny at all. I think yeah, I don't even think he even tried to be, like, did no. the joking funny. I think he tried to be funny with the, like, start with the knuckles. And we were like, oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and I guess we should speak to, I know we're cutting in on this ranking. What did you think of the Doberman as his sidekicks? We I really, about the I liked, sidekicks. I liked uh, Roscoe. Roscoe, another African-American actor. Um, I, I, I don't remember his name, but he, I, I just liked him. Like, DeSoto yeah. would show up and I was like, Yeah, sure, Roscoe whatever. seemed like he was kind of the lead Because he the also, ha- it sounded like he was into Rita. Like, it felt like he had, like, a little bit of a backstory. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, it was a yeah. cool, I, I would put him above, like, Flotsam and Jetsam. Him specifically. Oh. Flotsam and Jetsam are good, but they have no personality. Like, they're just, they're cool because of the way they're animated. Well, you know what? We'll find out in a few weeks, mm-hmm. guys. Um, Fierce. I don't think he's fierce. I don't think he's fierce either. I, I think he's just He's just terrifying. Scary, yeah. yeah, I think he's a one for me. I don't... Uh, there's no fierce quality about him. Yeah, effective. I mean, maybe he, a two, like... I mean, he's effective in that he scares Fagin, but so it's he his, never gets his money back. Yeah, but his money back is through Fagin, right? So then you yeah. have to take Fagin into account. He kidnaps the girl. I think that that's pretty... I'm going to give him a two for... Because I think kidnapping a child is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, but that... but that, uh, It's just... It's, the intensity and effectiveness are two different things. I don't think he's super effective. He he gets outwitted at the end of the day by... By dogs. dogs. I guess that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Two is my call, too. I'm going to give him a two, yeah. Design? I liked his design. I mean, it wasn't, like, groundbreaking or anything, but reading the villain's book and... I think um, Keen achieved what he wanted with him. I think he is very, mm-hmm. um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not foreboding, but. um, I don't know. He has a intensity and a presence about him because he's so big. He, he drew him very like square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. blocky shoulders, the big hands. They focus in on his hands a lot. Um. I wasn't like wowed with his design, but I think that there were conscious conscious choices mm-hmm. in in how he looked and presented himself. What number would you assign to it? I'm going between a two and a three. I think a two. Okay. What are you giving him? I'm going to give him a three because I'm also taking into account the way they do his car. Oh, then I'm going to give him a three. Why don't we keep I it agree. at two? Because I think that splits both of our thoughts. I think if you had gone three, I would have gone two simply for that. Because I think what he deserves is a 2.5. And that's what we'll end up giving him if we do it this way. Okay. That's We're gaming fine. the system a little bit here. We are. But I agree with you. I, I didn't even take his car into account. His car is but an extension, his extension of, of him. him. Yeah, yeah. I agree Even with by that. the end, the car dies when he dies. Yeah. Like he's part and of the it. car design is really cool. Uh, Go away, Heat. I almost want to give him a two or a three here. I'm going to give him a three. Because, again, I go back to him kidnapping the girl. I go back to those... The things he says on the phone, like yeah. obviously he's got goons, minions, henchmen somewhere that are inflicting harm on and death on mm-hmm. somebody else. So, I imagine it's all other Dobermans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes factor. I got to give him a one. I give him a one. As I had. A yes factor. I don't remember this character much at all. I don't either, and he's not one that I'm like. Oh yeah, Sykes, yeah. but he is very frightening so for you following along at home that's a 14.5 let me just see where that puts him in the villains ranking i think it puts him pretty low probably yeah um i i, I think that's fine i think he didn't he wasn't a good all-around villain he had like he was a one-note villain Well, and they talk about that too you know when they talked about how films sink or swim depending on the relationship between the hero and a villain and i think his motivation wasn't clear right and we talked about that so so he is 14.5, which puts him at, he is number 35. Oh, okay. He is below the, like, 
eight-way tie between all of our most hated villains stromboli amos slade like all donald ducks hold hold on actually let me figure out so it's stromboli the the mcp from tron (laughs) lump jaw donald ducks libido amos slade so that that five-way tie there and he's above mr winky from mr oh okay you know what he's in good company with all of them to be quite honest yeah because all of them have a similar vibe that he has, where they're they're very strong in one category, but not all the categories. Well, he's very close to the wolf from Peter and the Wolf, mm. and I think he feels a lot like that. Yeah. Because I, I would actually, if, if I had to actually put him, I'd put him under Mr. Winky above the wolf. Because mm. I think the wolf has no anthropomorphic personality, but yeah. the wolf is similar in that he was frightening, and mm-hmm. that was just about it. Yeah. So yeah, I think we did a pretty good job there, guys. Guys, uh, oh, sorry. I always do this every time. It'll never not happen. Um, do we keep this one? Do we put it on our shelf or do we lock it away in the vault? I'd put it on my shelf. I would too. I, I really, the majority of the movie is fun. It's upbeat. Um, I think, you know, I think kids would really enjoy all the personalities of the animals. I got to argue and, and say that I don't think you should just throw this on for your kids. Yeah, because I, when it's intense and it's not very intense very often, but say. it's super intense. Yeah, but I would say that there is a lot of things that I think kids would enjoy about this film. But yeah. I do agree that the, the ending is, is pretty dark. I think if you're a child of the 80s, which I feel like a good amount of us are, um, give this one another watch. It's nostalgic for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. For the music, if, if you grew up on the East Coast, if you've spent any time in New York City, there's the some nostalgia there. The music is very there. late 80s. Yeah. So yeah, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what next thing is. Little is it Mermaid. Little Mermaid? Yeah. <laughs> that was the notes from Beauty and the Beast. I was like, Little Town. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. You just did. Um, I'm just super, if you can't tell listeners, I'm so excited for Little Mermaid. I'm we are starting excited. the Disney renaissance. I'm excited for the Disney renaissance. I'm excited for the movie. I'm excited for our guest as well as the other guests that we have for the other Disney renaissance films. This is my childhood here, and so I think a lot of listeners, I think this is what you've been waiting for, and we're probably just as excited as you are as well. God, I hope we don't screw it up. Uh. (laughs) All right, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. If you want to tell us your favorite Disney villain and why it's guest on, send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com. Or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is, too, at TRP Diaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.